couple weeks, uh, well, months actually, we've been in this series, Tell Me the Story of Jesus, but in the last couple weeks, we've be, been looking at the beginning of Jesus' Galilean ministry tour. It actually began back in Jerusalem, uh, just kind of jog our memories, get our minds and hearts ready for what we were ready to encounter this morning. began in Jerusalem with Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. He then traveled north through Samaria, met with the woman at the well. When he came into the region of Galilee, we kind of looked at the way the Bible talks about his traveling arrangements and where he went. Uh, he took a short glimpse at Jesus' teaching in the synagogue at Nazareth, where he didn't really get a very positive response to his teaching when he read out of the, the prophet Isaiah. We saw the healing of the official son in Cana. Uh, the official was from Capernaum, and last week Jesus came to Capernaum to where he taught in the synagogue and amazed them all and then cast out a demon, and they were amazed again by his authority. This morning we are picking up on the same day in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 29, and our focus this morning is going to be power. Again, this happened on the same day, which was the Sabbath uh, the same day that Jesus taught, the same day that Jesus exercised the demon, and the same day that Jesus now goes to Peter's house. Uh, Jesus and his band of merry men, beginning in verse 29, set out to Simon Peter's house, which is going to become pretty much the base of operations in Capernaum. So our goal today is to see four types of power which Jesus reveals while he is at Peter's house. Last week we focused on true and false authority, and I began with a question, how do you recognize authority, to which one answer was power. Now I'm a Star Wars geek, and I know we have several Star Wars geeks here. You may not call yourself a geek, but when I think of power, I always think of Emperor Palpatine, when he uh, shoots lightning out of his fingers and is yelling, unlimited power, and um, of course that didn't happen. Because, uh, you know, he got thrown down a shaft and then outwitted by two young Jedis later in the series. But um, he thought he had unlimited power. And I understand Star Wars is fiction. But that, I, excuse me, that idea of unlimited power is what is on display this morning in our passage in Mark 29 through verse 34. Is we're going to see the true one who has unlimited power in Jesus Christ. So let's begin reading. And immediately... He left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this day. And we praise your name. We praise who you are. We raise a hallelujah. For God, you are good. And I thank you that you have re revealed your love and your mercy and your grace to us. You have revealed the truth of your scripture and the truth of what your son did for us all. Father, we thank you for inviting us into your family for claiming us as your own, for being known by you and allowing us to know you. Lord, we come before you and we are under your mercy that you would open the scriptures, open the text to us, that your spirit would speak to our hearts. 
We praise you that you know each and every one is exactly where we are, what we're going through, whether it's good or bad. There's not a thing hidden from your sight. And so you know exactly what needs to be said to all of our hearts this morning, and we lay them bare before you. Have your way with us. We trust you, and we praise you. We pray for your forgiveness. Where we have fallen to the temptations, we pray for strength for when those temptations come, that we can see the way that you'll lead us out from under them. In this time, in this moment, Lord, it's not about me, it's not about us, it's about you. We want you to be on display. So we pray that your kingdom and your will will be done in each and every life here this morning. Father, we lift up the individuals who are here who do not know you as their Lord and Savior. In agreement as your children, we pray that their eyes be open, their ears be open, their hearts be softened, that today would be their day of salvation. Again, thank you for allowing us to be in this moment. We praise in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so as I mentioned, Mark points it out that these events all happened on the same day. The same day of Jesus' teaching in the synagogue, same day as the exorcism. And Mark, if you read through the Gospel of Mark, you'll notice that he loves to use this transitional phrase immediately, or maybe in your text it's at once. And he does this particularly a lot in, in the beginning of the gospel that bears his name. Mark is John Mark. He was a follower or disciple of Peter. Sometime they came together and it most likely is Peter who dictated this gospel to Mark to write down. The gospel of Mark is actually the earliest gospel we have, even though it's not the first gospel in the New Testament. I like to call Mark the action gospel because of that use of that phrase immediately or at once. And it would make sense that this came, comes from Peter because if you're familiar with Peter, Peter always is on the move. He always has something to say, whether it's right or wrong. He always seems to be putting his foot in his mouth. And though Mark doesn't give us as many details as some of the other Gospels may, he gives us just enough information that we can begin to form this image or this picture in our head on what is going on. Again, we know it's the Sabbath because of verse 21. That's where Jesus went to the synagogue, and now they're leaving the synagogue in verse 29. We know that four of the six disciples that Jesus has already called are with him. Where Philip and Nathaniel are, the text isn't concerned with, so we don't need to concern ourselves with that question. We also know that these five guys are headed to Peter's house to grab something to eat, though I doubt it's a burger. See what I did there? Five guys, burger. See, my, my family has to live with these jokes all the time, so you're lucky. Uh, as a reminder, Peter and Andrew, who are with Jesus, they're brothers. James and John are brothers. All four of them are from Capernaum. They all four had a fishing business. The scripture seems to imply that John and James' business was a little more uh, prosperous than Peter and Andrew's. Because when John and James left, they not only left their father, but they left their father and his servants at the boat. We don't know why they don't go to John and James' house. We're just told they go to Peter, to which this is going to be the base of operations in Galilee. The text also lets us know, if you didn't catch it, that Peter is married. He has a mother-in-law, verse 30. Paul also points this out in, the, in 1 Corinthians. Now some believe that Peter is a widower, but again, Scripture never says, though his wife is never actually mentioned by name or even being around Peter. We can know Peter, though, is the oldest of all the disciples. 
we know that he is at least 21 years of age or older. And we can gather this because at one particular time in Jesus' ministry, they have to pay a temple tax to which only Jesus and Peter have to pay the tax, which anyone over the age of 21 that is a Jew has to pay the temple tax, but only two had to pay it. So we have Jesus, who's pretty much a youth pastor. He has one adult chaperone. The younger brother of the adult chaperone is there as well. And there are two brothers that are together, nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. That sounds like a great little group to be around, doesn't it? As they leave the synagogue, which would have been comparable to our church today, they do what many of us are planning to do here in the next however many minutes I go. I won't give you a time. We're going to go eat somewhere, right? It's most likely at lunchtime that they're leaving since we're told in verse 32 that the sun went down later. Now, upon arriving at Peter's house, Peter has done something that we never should do, particularly in 2021. He has invited his buddies over when there's someone sick in the house. We have to wonder if Peter knew that his mother-in-law was sick or if she got sick while they were at church. I lean to the idea that Peter knew, based on his recorded actions in the other Gospels, and that he doesn't always think things through. Either way, the wording is that his mother-in-law, verse 30, lay ill in bed with a fever. This is meant to let us know as we read that, that this was serious. We have to keep in mind, this is before modern medicine, and severe illnesses in this day and age typically led to death. And Mark uses the phrase once again in verse 30, that immediately they told him, Jesus, about her. So the four disciples bring the attention to Jesus that Peter's mother-in-law is very sick. Now we know Jesus knows all things, and so he already knew the condition of Peter's mother-in-law, but they're just trying to be helpful. Illnesses in this day would make someone unclean. Much like Mark describes the demons in verse 23 as being an unclean spirit. It's also believed in this day that someone would get sick because they had a sin in their life and so God was punishing them through this illness. Most traditions, Jewish traditions, held to demons giving possessions and handicaps and illnesses were because the sin of an individual or the sin of a parent. Now, Jesus is going to deal with this issue later in ministry to show that it is not true. By Jesus' actions, though, with Simon Peter's mother-in-law, it reveals that illnesses are not because of a sin of the individual. Now, we get sick because we have sin. We have a natural, sinful nature. And so that makes our bodies weak. It makes our bodies susceptible to viruses and diseases. However, Jesus reveals that this is not the issue with Peter's mother-in-law because he touches her. Now, if we take from the book of Leviticus, we would know that this is a heavily taboo action on the account of Jesus. In the book of Leviticus, we're told when someone has a skin disease or leprosy, they're to be quarantined from the general public. And if someone were to come into contact with that individual, they would also have to be quarantined. This idea of handing skin diseases or leprosy in the Jewish tradition began to be applied to all illnesses. That you don't go around someone who has an illness. See, the Bible was well ahead of COVID, right? They were prepared. But Jesus, he's not worried about these man-made traditions or medicinal practices that the Jews had. Instead, verse 31, Jesus came He took her by the hand and he lifted her up. 
and the fever left. This is an image of a loving God taking care of his children. But it reveals the first thing about power. Jesus healing power. See, the disciples at this moment, we have to keep in mind, they don't fully know who Jesus is yet. I mean, they have some indication that he's a miracle worker and he can do some things different. They've, at this point, they've witnessed the turning of water to wine. They were with him when he told the official from Capernaum that his dying son would live. And I, we don't know, did they go to Capernaum and the disciples wander off at some point to go check? Did that really happen? They just saw Jesus in the synagogue cast out a demon. And now their speculations about him being able to heal Simon Peter's mother-in-law has been validated. Think about all that has taken place in this passage and what the disciples are going through and trying to figure out about who Jesus is. We've all been sick to the point, though, where we've cried out to God for healing. God, heal me or take me home. You ever been there? Hello? Are we awake? Some might wonder why Christians pray for healing. Why we pray for people in the hospitals. Why we pray for people who are battling with cancer. It's because this right here, we believe Jesus heals. We also understand sometimes Jesus doesn't heal physical ailments in our physical bodies, but sometimes he heals us completely by taking us home. This healing power, though, isn't just found in Jesus. If you look into the book of Acts, we see that the disciples healed. The disciples cast out demons. The disciples raised the dead. Point is that God has given us a power when fueled by faith can bring healing. Jesus, who has given all power and authority, has now given us the power and authority as believers through the Holy Spirit. We pray for healings because we know Jesus can. It isn't to discredit modern medicine or the achievements of science and technology, but we have heard and we have witnessed Countless people being healed that have baffled doctors. Does anybody have that sort of testimony? Healing of people that have been in the hospital and automatically they're healed. People who have, have been shown to have cancer and they go back and the cancer's gone with no treatments. Babies who said that they would not live past birth who have gone on to live a full life. We know God heals. We know He has the power to do things in our body that we don't. And when it comes to healing, we shouldn't abandon the blessing that God has given us of modern medicine and trained professionals. But we need to remember who is the true healer. And once Peter's mother-in-law's fever leaves, she gets up and starts serving. This might be the reason why they told Jesus immediately where she was, because none of them knew how to cook. They had to get her up. These aren't male chauvinist pigs, though. The action of the mother reveals two things. First, her healing was complete. It isn't like us when we have a stomach bug and it takes us a couple days to actually get our strength back. Or maybe you have had COVID and you're still dealing with some of the things going on and you, you still feel weak or you don't have your sense of taste or smell. Peter's mother-in-law's healing was complete. It was a 180 and her actions show her gratitude by having a heart of service. This is what our heart should produce and our healing should produce. Jesus took all of our sin, sin, healing us from the wages of it, and in return we should have a servant heart. Our spiritual healing should lead us to ask, 
How can I serve the one who loves me and has completely healed me? Now we're assuming this is around lunchtime. Mark explains the time has transpired by verse 32 since they left the synagogue and the mother's healing. And we might read that evening and at sundown as just a time reference. But this had more significance to the Jewish people since it was the Sabbath. The Sabbath began on Friday evening when the sun went down, and it continued to Sunday, Saturday evening when the sun went down. So during this time, the Jews were not permitted to do anything that was considered work. They actually had a term, a Sabbath day's journey. There was a certain distance that they could travel on the Sabbath before it became work. And so the people haven't bombarded Peter's house yet because the sun had not gone down because of the Sabbath restrictions upon them. Capernaum wasn't a large city, but people were bringing, verse 32, all who were sick and oppressed by demons. This would have required work. They would have had to carry those who were sick. They most likely had to restrain those who were demon-possessed. And Mark does something very significant that we can overlook. He separates those who have illnesses and those who are possessed for a reason. It's to let us know they are distinct. The Bible does say that demons can cause illness. Demons can do things that make us handicapped. But the Bible also clarifies that this isn't always the case. Sometimes you just have the flu. Sometimes you just have allergies and you don't have COVID. Sometimes people get sick and it's not demonic. This is to show the showing at Peter's house, though. The entire city, verse 33, was gathered together at the door. Good thing his mom is feeling better, right? Everyone has come to her house. Now they get to practice hospitality. Mark again has given us this image that there were so many people they couldn't even fit into the house. Not all of them came to be healed. Some most likely just came to see the new show in town. We're also told in verse 34 that Jesus healed many and cast out many demons. The reading implied that not everyone who was brought to Jesus was in fact healed. We don't know why that is, but we've all experienced this in our life and we've prayed for healing and it doesn't happen. The lack of everyone being healed isn't a reflection on the power of Jesus. Just as it isn't a reflection in our own life when we pray for healing, Jesus, praise God, does not run out of juice. But we can't be sure why He didn't heal everyone who was brought. But we find another power of Jesus, Jesus' spiritual power. And reading this passage several times over, the week, over this last week, you see a lot of things that are happening in Capernaum, which makes me ask a question. So Jesus encountered a demon-possessed at the synagogue, and now many people are bringing people with possessed demons in them as well. What's going on in Capernaum with all these demons, right? Well, Capernaum is a city under the Roman influence. It was in the Roman Empire. It was very important to Rome. It had a port on the Sea of Galilee where they could be traveling through the water. It was in the city that taxes were collected. It had a major roadway system that went in and out of the city. There was a Roman garrison stationed in Capernaum. This city was heavily impacted by Hellenism which is an adoption of ancient Greek culture, including its languages, its architectures, its philosophies, and its religion. Now, we know that there is only one true God, but the Roman Empire served many gods, many idols, therefore many demons. 
which gives us a clue why there's so much demonic activity in this city. In casting out this demon, Jesus shows his power not only over the physical, but the spiritual. And later on in his ministry, he'll show his power over the natural. But just like we saw last week, these demons didn't stand a chance. They had to obey the commands of their Creator. It's a reminder to us we're all in a spiritual battle. It's going on all around us. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rules, against authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And though we may wrestle with these things, though we may have a battle, the passage reveals who has the power over it all. We must be like David when he faced the physical giant, understanding the battles we go through. The battle belongs to the Lord. And with that, the Lord has empowered us to be able to withstand and to defeat the spiritual battles in our life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Temptations are the devil's schemes to cause us to sin and to pull away from God. But we have to remember temptations and the devil's schemes are not more powerful than our God and the God who lives inside of us. We have been given the spiritual power to overcome. In casting out these demons, Jesus told them, or we were told Jesus would not permit them to speak because they knew him. And we hit on this briefly last week. It's what's known as the messianic secret. And Jesus does this frequently in his ministry, not just with demons, but with people he has healed. Mark's going to capture it several times alone in this chapter. Jesus cast out demons, told them to be quiet. Jesus heals a leper, tells him to not tell anyone. He raises a dead girl. He heals a deaf mute. He heals a blind man, all with this idea of keeping it to themselves. Jesus even told his own disciples to keep things to themselves that they saw and that they heard. Jesus would at times lead, leave crowded areas so he wouldn't be detected. And ironically, almost every time that Jesus told an individual to be quiet, they disobeyed it. But when he told the demons, they had to. The issue, though, this can create is, the Bible says Jesus came to make God known. And Jesus was the way that God was to be known to the people. So why didn't Jesus want the publicity? You're never going to hear me tell you, don't invite people to Harvest Hill, or don't tell anybody about Harvest Hill. It's not like it's Fight Club, right? We don't talk about Fight Club and... But it seems to be what Jesus continues to do, not letting demons or people speak about who he truly was. If you were here last week, demons know who Jesus is because Jesus created them. Jesus was in the beginning before the fall of Satan and the demons. And when it comes to keeping miracles a secret or demons muted, there can be several options. Daniel Akin points out a few. He says, Perhaps Jesus wanted to avoid the impression of being a mere miracle worker or a magician. This is going to be what we're going to look at next week. Jesus, in fact, leaves the area to go to other places. He didn't come to be a sideshow. See, Jesus came to be our Savior, not our entertainer. He came to defeat the power of death and sin. Yet people wanted Him for the show. Perhaps Jesus wanted to avoid unhelpful publicity. 
We see people doing this today when they break ties with certain groups or certain people because of certain stigmas that did attach to them. When individuals were healed by Jesus and they didn't keep quiet as Jesus commanded them to, they hurt the ministry Jesus was doing in that area, frequently causing him to have to leave. Then there's the truth that Jesus came to be the suffering servant, which required humility, not displays of miraculous activity. He wasn't opposed to doing miracles, but he was opposed to what the people wanted the miracles for. Jesus may have wanted to silence the people so individuals could come to know him through faith and their own faith, not on what he can do. And people do this today when they come to Christianity, placing their faith in Jesus Christ simply for benefits and what it could bring into their life. But we know Jesus' ministry isn't about that. It isn't about what Jesus can give us. It's what He's already done for us. And Jesus' ministry begins to gain more and more attention. And not all the attention that Jesus received was good. Jesus may have wanted to keep the demons and the people on the down low to give Him the ample amount of time He needed before the Pharisees and religious leaders would swoop in and do what they wanted to do. Finally, Jesus, He didn't need the recognition from an undesirable source, which is what these demons were. These demons knew who Jesus was, but they did not have a faith in Jesus, a reverence for Jesus, or a heart of worship to Jesus. James says in chapter 2, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons do that and shudder. See, the knowledge of Jesus isn't the key, it's the faith in Jesus which matters. Meaning we can know all about Jesus, we can know the Bible stories, we can watch the movies or the TV shows, and those are fine. But we can do all of that and still not know Jesus as our Savior. In forbidding the demons to speak, Jesus reveals another power, Jesus' silencing power. Man, Capernaum was crazy, right? Had idolatry, pagan empire in control, a lot of sick people, a lot of demon possessions. But Jesus silenced them all. And God wants to use the same power in our lives, and I believe this is the power we desperately need. We need the silencing power of God when it comes to this world. Because for some reason, we keep listening to the things of this world, and it impacts our hearts more than we listen to the loving words of our Father. We are to be still before God. We are to still our minds. We are to still our hearts. So currently, we live under a government which does not serve God. It's a lot like the Roman Empire. They'll allow us the freedom of worship, but they do not serve God. And the reason we know that is we can see the actions and the decisions they make that are opposed to God's Word. We live in a world where people are sick. We live in a world where Satan and his demons still destroy lives, but we also live in a world and under a nation where we can pick up and hear the same voice that can silence it all. I believe as believers, we get overwhelmed because we silence the wrong thing. We live in a crazy world. There are a lot of decisions being made that do not go with God's Word, and we cannot agree with as God's people. We can see the schemes of the enemy every night on the news, but let's not forget who is in control and who can silence all the noise. This is why I want to challenge everyone. Find a time in your day where you turn off the TV, the computer, the phone, the tablet, whatever it is, 
and get silent with God. Open His Word and allow His voice to speak to your heart. To experience the silencing power of God, we first have to silence our soul, which means we have to remove the distractions that keep us from going into His presence. The Bible says in Psalms, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. The final thing we see in our passage concerning power is Jesus' instant power. Peter's mother-in-law was instantly healed, began to serve. Those with illnesses who were brought to Jesus, the ones He healed were instantly healed. It didn't matter the disease, Jesus had power over all of it. The demons were instantly cast out in silence. And when God unleashes His power, it has instant results. The greatest example I think we all can relate to is when it comes to our salvation. By God's love, mercy, and grace displayed through the cross and an empty tomb, instantly by our faith in it, it changed our identity. Instantly, it changed our heart. Instantly, it changed our eternal destination. Instantly, it changed our status before God as no longer sinners, but saints. No longer enemies, but His children. Instantly, it changed our understanding of people in this world. In an instant, we stood before God, deserving hell, but God graced us with eternal life. And His instant power is still working today. I know we can feel overwhelmed. I know we can watch the news and listen to the TV or listen to what people are saying and we can shake our heads. I do it all the time. As a pastor, I am not immune to temptations. I am not immune to worries. I am not immune to a sense of being overwhelmed or having a heavy burden. If that was the case, then I would tell everyone to become a pastor if you immediately became immune to all those things. I deal with the battles. But this passage reminds me and it reminds us no matter what is going on around us, no matter what is going on inside of us, no matter what is happening to us, it is not more powerful than the one who knows, loves, and claims us as his own. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. Maybe you like the children's version of that. God is so big, strong and so mighty, there's nothing our God cannot do. Y'all missed it. I got one. Maybe you like the more recent. Ring Collective has a song on the radio. Your name is power over darkness. Freedom for the captive. Mercy for the broken and the hopeless. Your name is faithful in the battle. Glory in the struggle. Mighty. It won't let us down or fail us. Your name is power. As God's people, let's hold on to the power of our God and the power that God has placed inside of us in His Holy Spirit. The question this morning is, have you experienced this power for yourself? Have you experienced the instant power of God by placing your faith in Jesus Christ? The Bible says that God so loved you 
He sent Jesus to die for you. And the Bible says when we come before God and we admit that we sin and we fall short of His glory, His holiness, but we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again, that we might be completely forgiven and be given eternal life. And the Bible says we must confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's to make it publicly audible. When we come this time of invitation, if that's where you are, I'm going to invite you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I want the power of God living inside of me. Maybe you're here and you've just been through the battle. You forgot what a mighty God we serve. Nothing is impossible with Him. Let's turn our eyes back to Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your love and Your mercy. Thank You for Your grace and Your kindness. Thank You for the power of Your love. The power, not of the cross, but of the empty tomb. Thank You for the power that we're allowed to be in the presence of this morning. Father, forgive us when we lose sight of that. You have this all under control. Whatever we're going through in life, you have it under control. So help us stay focused on you. Help us to silence our hearts and be still before you. Help us to get away from distractions so we can be with the daddy who loves us dearly. Forgive us where we have failed you. And Lord, if someone here needs to accept you as your Lord and Savior, let this be the day of their salvation. Praise on the name of Jesus Christ.